Good morning, church. Great to see you. Beautiful sunshine today. I want to say a special greeting and welcome to everyone over in the sanctuary this morning. Glad you're here during the simulcast. We know that uh, you, some of you prefer that venue, and that's, it's a great place to worship. There's a live band over there, and some uh, parents find it more convenient to be closer to the nurseries and children's areas and so forth. And you're always welcome to go over there if, uh, if you'd like to check it out. Welcome to you. Glad you've joined us. I want to say a special word of thanks also to everyone who helped beautify the church campus yesterday. We see your work, uh, your handiwork. It's a beautiful improvement. Thank you so much. Um, we planted pansies all over the place, and apparently they're hardy, and so this frost won't hurt them. They'll come right back. Why do we call such a hardy plant a pansy? <laughs> see, that's, see that's, that puzzles me. I don't, I don't understand that. We, uh, we are in the middle of this uh, series called Transformed, and thank you for all the feedback that you've been offering. Uh, this really has been life-changing for a number of you, and I'm so pleased to know that. We've talked about spiritual health and physical health and mental health and emotional health. Last week we talked about relational health, the fears that keep us from levels of intimacy that God desires in our relationship with Him and others. And today we, we come into the home stretch of this series. We've got two weeks to go before Easter, and we have these two subjects left, and it's money and work, finances and vocation. And today we're going to talk about money. Now this isn't a sermon about giving but it is a sermon about money management. And I hope you'll discover that this is a very critically important issue, area of our lives. And next week we'll talk about our work lives and how to be healthy in our vocation. And that'll lead us right up into Easter. So today's text is found in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read a very uh, important story, an important parable from Jesus himself. And this is about a shrewd manager. And it's not just uh, informative, but it's very interesting. It's just uh, got all kinds of good insight into financial health, and I hope that we have much to learn. So uh, if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand to hear these important words from Luke's Gospel. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he said. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, Make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. And just between you and me, don't tell the boss, take 20% off of that. Verse 8 The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. May God inspire us today through this important story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Half of all the parables in the New Testament have to do with money and the management of money. One out of every six verses in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke have to do with money and the management of money. Uh, more verses in the New Testament are, are devoted to money and the management of money than are devoted to the subject of heaven or hell. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus knew that the management of money was going to be a very critically important aspect of our lives. Here's what we've learned really over time is that either you learn to manage your money or your money will manage you. It has that kind of effect. Now what we have today is this amazing story about this shrewd manager. And he's described as shrewd. Now he's dishonest. And let's, let's make no mistake, Jesus isn't encouraged, encouraging dishonesty. But he is encouraging us toward shrewdness. Now, now, how would you define a person who is shrewd? Well, that's a person who is smart, who's sharp, who's strategic, who's resourceful. This is a person who can see a problem clearly and then design a solution for that problem. This person, this person is on top of things. He's aware. She is uh, uh, understanding of the dynamics of the circumstance. So they're shrewd. So in this story of the shrewd manager, we learn four things that we should not do with our money. And I want to talk about those briefly. And then we also learn four or five things that we should remember, we should think about every day with regard to money's management. Now remember our theme verse for this series is Romans 12, 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind or by the way you think, changing the way you think. And so we've been talking about changing the way we think about our relationship with God, our spiritual life, our, our relationship with our own physical body and how we relieve stress, emotional, mental, relational. All of these things are affected by the way we think. And so we want to change the way we think, therefore transforming the way we move through the world. Today I want to ask you to think about changing your attitudes toward the way you manage money because all of us need to be encouraged in this area. Money is important to all of us. It affects all of us in very significant ways. So let's jump into this story and, and learn some of these things. Here are four things now of what not to do with your money. It's on your outline. You might want to write these things down. The first one is this. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Luke 16, 2, the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. And so there, there it is, that waste thing. You say, well, look, I earned the money. What's it to you or anyone else if I want to, you know, be frivolous with some of it? Well, the answer is because it's not actually your money. It, it's actually God's money. And when you see it as God's money, then you'll be less inclined to waste it. So don't waste it. Here's number two. Don't love it. Don't love it. Now, some folks wrongly read the scripture that money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's important 
to make that differentiation. Verse 13 from our text, no servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If, on your outline, that verse is there. You might want to encircle the word cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And God wants your heart in these things. He doesn't want you loving money. So don't waste it. Don't love it. Here's the third thing. Write this down. Don't trust it. Don't trust it. Verse 3, what am I going to do? The manager said, I'm losing my job. Some of you can identify with that. Maybe you've lost a job at some point in your life. You know the anxiety and the stress that that creates. And, and you wonder what's going to happen next because your income stream has dried up. Uh, here's, here's, here's a truth that I've tried to convey to you many times before. I hope you'll hear it again. Never put your security in anything that can be taken away from you. Never put your security in anything that can be taken away from you. For example, some of you put your security in your appearance, the way you look. Let me just tell you something. You're not always going to be this sexy. Stuff happens. I've been told that. It hasn't happened to me yet, but... <laughs> Some people put their security in their health or in their job or in their marriage or in their loved ones. But listen, you can lose all those things or those people. Some people put their security in their bank account, if I can just get to a certain level. But listen, there's a thousand ways you can lose your money. So don't put your security in anything that you can lose. So what is it that you can't lose? There's only one thing in the world you cannot lose, and that is the love that God has for you. God loves you with an everlasting love. You can't lose it. He has given it to you, and it can't be taken away from you. So put your hope, put your confidence, put your future, put your security in the love that God has for you, because that's the one consistent thing. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 5, your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. <laughs> there it goes. You know, some people say money talks. I don't think so. Money's very quiet. It just walks away. You don't even know where it went. Where is it? What happened? To, I had, what happened to my money? The United States government is very helpful. They print a dollar bill. They have an American eagle right on there, just reminding us that it's going to go. built right in so don't trust it here's the third thing you don't a fourth thing you don't do don't expect it to satisfy don't expect money to satisfy if you think if you think having more will make you more happy or more secure or more important or more valuable if you think that then you are fiercely misguided because it's not true the more you have the more you want that's just kind of human nature. The more you have, the more you want. Somebody asked Howard Hughes, who at the time was the wealthiest man in the world. They said, how much does it take to make a man happy? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Isn't, isn't that the way it goes? No matter how much you have, you know, it just it wants to reach out. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. So there it is. That's why Jesus says in Luke 12, guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. 
See, your self-worth has absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. Your self-worth has absolutely nothing to do with your net worth. Your value, your intrinsic value as a person has absolutely nothing to do with, with your valuables. We talked about this last week, that God went to the extreme expense. Uh, the value of a thing is based on who owns it and what someone's willing to pay for it. That's the true value. And what we learned last week is that God went to the extreme expense of giving the life of his, of his very own son, which may, we may interpret as the most precious thing in the, in the world, the most precious thing in the universe. God gave that in order to purchase you, to buy you away from your sins. So you're worth a lot. It doesn't matter how much physical material stuff you've piled up. It's irrelevant to your value because God thinks that you're priceless. You're precious. And God loves you that way. So again, our verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by changing the way you think, by renewing your mind. And so here are some things that I want you to remember every day. These four or five things. If you'll remember these things about money management, it will help you get to the place of health and where God has called you to. Number one, every day I, I need to remember it all belongs to God. Every day I need to remember it all belongs to God. The whole universe. You belong to God. I belong to God. The heavens belong to God. The sun, moon, and the stars belong to God. The, the trees, the plants, the rocks, everything ever created actually belongs to God. And therefore, you and I, we don't actually own anything. What we actually try to convince ourselves that we own is actually merely loaned to us. We don't own anything. How, much, how many possessions did you have before you got to planet Earth? didn't have any. How many will you have one second after your heart stops? <laughs> Empty-handed again. So these 50, 60, 70, maybe 80 years that we get to live, here they are in this brief time period. And the fact is, you, you know, you, we may have a title deed to a car or a house or something like that, but, it's, but in actuality, it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It's just on loan to us. We get to use it. And by the way, this is a good thing when you think about it because it reduces our stress, reduces our worry. You know, we'll finish with church, we'll get in our car and say, God, thank you that you let me use this car to get from A to B. And you get home, you say, thank you for this home, this roof over my head. I know you own it, God, but thank you for letting me live in it in this short period of time. And when you sit down for dinner, you eat off these utensils and these plates, and you say, God, thank you for this plate to hold my food so that I can eat with dignity. Thank you for letting me use that. And then, and then when it comes to your car, when it breaks down, you say, God car just broke down I guess you're going to have to do something about that because it's not my car that's your car and <laughs> just broke down or your, your first kid gets ready to go to college say God your kid needs tuition <laughs> for college anytime now just throw in so it reduces stress it's a very important perspective uh, so you get to use it while you're alive but you don't own anything in this story the owner has all this property, and he lets a manager take care of his property. So the fact is, reality is, we're all just in management. God owns everything. He possesses everything, and we get to steward and manage 
all of these different items. Everything you have then is a gift from God. You say, well, no, wait a minute. Everything I have, I've earned. I've used my hands to work hard, and I've earned it. It's, therefore, it's mine. Wait a minute. Who gave you your hands? Who gave you the energy? Who gave you the capacity to do anything? It's all a gift from God. And so we're thankful, and we see the rightful owner is, is God, and we are merely the stewards of it. And so we trust God this way. Every day I need to remember it all belongs to God. The first verse in our story says, the owner enlisted a manager to take care of his property. So God is the owner. We are the manager. Let me ask you this. How are you doing with your management? Your body is a gift from God. How are you managing that? How are you managing your health? Are you taking care of yourself? What about, what about your opportunities? Are you managing those well? How about your time? Are you, are you managing and stewarding your time? It's a gift, you know. What about your mind? Are you careful about what you think about? Ask God to give you grace to control your thoughts. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What about that? How are you doing with that? What about your, what about your talents? Those unique capacities that God has given you. Are, are you stewarding those well? Remember, God owns us and everything about us. Are we good managers of those resources? Now, here's the, here's the second major point. I want you to think about this. If you can remember this every day, not only that God is the owner, but second of all, God is using money to test me. Everyone say, test me. Huh? Have you ever felt like this is a test? I'm, this is a test. I'm going through a season of life, and this is testy. This is testing my metal. This is testing my character. This is testing my, my sanity. This is testing me, testing my resolve. You ever felt that way? Sure. God actually puts tests in front of us. And one of the primary ways that God will test us is through the issue of finances. And while he's testing all kinds of things, he especially loves to make as his favorite the tool of finances as a primary test. And the reason for that is because God needs to know if you can handle certain things. He will test you to determine whether you can handle it in order for him to trust you with it. God doesn't give us anything unless he realizes we can handle it. And so he'll put a test in front of us to make sure that we are trustworthy in a particular area before he allows us to have it. This is a test. Life is a test. And this life, I think, is preparation for the next. You, you all know this is the trial run. This, this business right now, these 50, 60, 70 years, this is, this is the dress rehearsal. This is just, just a moment or two, and we're gone. This is just the prep. This is the prep time for the real life that is to come. Listen, there is a reality in, in another dimension called the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God that is more real than this room we're in right now. It's more real than the bodies we're living in right now. It's more real than this. It's ultimate reality. It lasts forever. You're going to be in there. You're going to be there someday. I'm going to be there just in a few more days, just like that. We'll all be there. And this is the prep time. And God speaks to us. 
And he uses us and he prepares us. And God wants to know what we can be trusted with. On the earth, we don't own anything. We're just the managers of stuff that passes through our hands in this limited brief lives we have. But in eternity, this is what I believe, I think we'll own a lot of stuff there. It's an eternal place. And God's determining today, right now, in the course of our lives, what we can be trusted with. And he, he, he makes us stewards and managers in this life, but he'll make us owners in the next life, depending on how we do. It's a big deal. It's important to understand this stuff. So God's using money to test me. Now, there's some sub-points I want to just bring out. Here's the first one under that point number two on your outline. Money shows what I love the most. This is a test. Money shows what I love the most. So you ask the question, where do I spend most of my time? Where do I spend most of my money? That's probably what I love the most. That's what I care about the most. You, you agree? Here's a quick evaluation tool. Just look at your calendar and look at your credit card statements. Look at your calendar and your credit card statements. You'll discover what, what you love the most. What's most interesting to you? What, get, what gets you going? So what I do with my money shows what I love most. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't store up treasure here on earth. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So believe me when I say this, the moment, the moment that you put money into something, you get interested in it. Most of you in the room today don't care about Microsoft. You don't care. But the, but the second you buy stock in Microsoft, now you care a lot. You're very interested. Most of you aren't interested in Toyota. But if you buy stock in Toyota, that corporation, you're very interested in it. I have friends who sit with their computer. I mean, when their computer is not doing other business, their computer actually has the NASDAQ. So they can track their stocks. That's what they do. Now, why do they do that? Because they're really interested. They put their money in there. My money is in those stocks. I want to know how they're doing. And so it's, it's a test. Money shows what I love most. And here's the second thing. Money also shows what I really trust the most. Not only what I love most, but what I trust the most. It, it shows what I have faith in, where I place my security. Maybe even where I, I, I place my happiness. Maybe money for me is what I used to make myself feel good about me. But Proverbs 11.28 says, If you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. So God, this is a test. God uses money to test us. He wants to know what we love most, and He wants to know what we trust the most. And then here's a third little sub-point. And this one, I want to linger here just for a moment because this, this was so life-changing for me. It actually shows if God can trust me. So God is saying, not only, not only do I want to know what you trust in, but God says, I want to know if you trust me. See how that gets reversed? And this trust then works both ways. It doesn't just show if I trust God. It shows if God can trust me. Now, this is a big deal because you want God to trust you because it really matters how life is going to unfold for you and, and how much influence God gives you and, and how many resources he puts at your disposal based on whether or not he can trust you with those things. And, 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 and so... And so out-of-control out of finances in the, in, the, in the attitude of God, out-of-control finances represent an out-of-control life. Do you agree with that? Unmanaged finances represent an unmanaged life? I think that's true. And so God notices that as well. 
Now the next verses, verses 11 and 12 from our passage, this is one of the most important scriptures in the entire Bible. I can't stress this enough. If, you know, if I was on a soapbox, I'd jump up and down on it right now. If I had a bass drum, I would beat it. Just to say, this is really critically important. When I understood this verse, when I finally understood the meaning of these two verses, it so radically changed my life about 40 years ago now that I never looked at money the same way again. It was one of those days where I'm, I'm reading this story and I read these verses and, and the light comes on. Now this is when I was a relatively young person, uh, early in my relationship with God and considering my future, my career, all that stuff. And so it was a formative time in my life. And when I read these verses, I went, aha, man, I, that is, I get that. That is so important. And it began to change the way I lived. And it stopped me from wanting to, to be like the Joneses next door. You know, because the Joneses just refinanced their house for a second time and then went bankrupt. So that's not what I wanted for my life. So here's what the Bible says in these verses. Now give an ear to this. Verses 11 and 12. Jesus said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Do you see that? Whoever can be trusted with just a little bit can be trusted with much. So when people say to me, Well, Pastor, as soon as I you know, get a better job and get a bigger income, then I'll be able to contribute to the church. I said, no, you won't. No, you won't. No. Because whoever can be trusted with a little bit will be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Now, when I first had the light bulb come on for me reading these verses, this is when I had just a little bitty bit. Just a tiny little, tiny little bit. Just a little bit. In fact... Not enough to go around. I mean, this, this is when there was more month than there was money. Can I get a witness? And, so, and so, here, so this is just a tiny little bit. The first handful of years that my wife and I were married, listen, we qualified for subsidy. Now, we never, we never took it. And let me just say, on a side note here, that, that because of our worldview and maybe our families of origin and the culture that we grew up in, here's, here was our reality. We, it never crossed our mind to go ask somebody else to help us. Now, not that the, that's a bad thing because there are people who need help and, and have got to have help, and, and there, there are programs in place for that, and, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a godly thing, and it's an honorable thing. What I'm saying that in our worldview, it was just, look, we, we just have just this much, and it's just it's barely enough. And so in our world, we just said, well, listen, we've got to be faithful with the little we have. And in the meantime, we just, you know, we just live on this. We'll do, we, you know, it's just fumes. We'll live on fumes. We'll go without. That's the way this will be. But we know we have to be faithful in the little. Because, because the truth is, the word of Almighty God is, if you'll be faithful with just a little bit, God will make you faithful in much. If you're dishonest with just a little bit, God says, look, you'll be dishonest with a bunch. I can't trust you with that. And it's not just about material things, but it's about influence and it's about spiritual power. And it's about the vitality of relationships. It's all of these categories that if we're faithful in the little bit that God gives us, honorable to him with that little bit, God goes, okay, now I'm learning who I can trust. And I'm learning who I can't trust. 
And so we were faithful, and we not only applied this in our personal lives to this moment, but we've applied it in our professional lives as well. And the first year that we pastored Union Chapel, Union Chapel's annual budget, the, the, the total receipts, the budget for the whole year, the first year we served this church, was $21,000. That was the annual budget. Now you can imagine what my salary was. Less than that. <laughs> so, you know, if we had $400 in an offering, we had a big Sunday. So, but from the very beginning, because I got this, this, the light had come on with this in my mind, in my heart. Jesus said, if you'll be faithful in a little bit, I'll make you faithful in a lot. And so what we started to do immediately, over 30 years ago in the life of our church, was take $20,000 and say, okay, we're going to take $20,000 and we're going to tithe. We're going to take 10% of that and we're going to give it away. We're, we're going to be a missions church. We're going to support people outside of the walls of the church. We're going to do something to help someone beyond our borders. And we're going to do that. And so we did that the first year and the second year and the third year, and that kept growing and growing and growing. And all these years later, to this day, we still continue to give. And you say, well, you're just a big-hearted, gracious church, and you just want to love the community. Yeah, that's, that's who we are. But listen, let's get this clear. You should know this about me. It's not because I'm so big-hearted. Let me tell you what I am. I'm selfish. I want more. I want more of everything. I want more spiritual power. I want more influence. I want to reach more people for Jesus. I want to make a difference in the world. And the way that I know to do that is to be faithful with what God has given me. And faithfulness means that I'm open-hearted and open-handed. And that's why Union Chapel... And we're doing something crazy right now. For weeks now, we've been standing up. Okay, we're going to volunteer 4,000 hours. And everyone goes, that's, that's cute. Listen, let me tell you what it is. It is guaranteeing the favor and the blessing and the anointing of God. That's what it's doing. The, you see, God's, God needs to know who he can trust with these things. This is a test. And he will use money as his favorite thing to test you personally, to test organizations, to test ministries, to test churches in this area. When I'm in front of young pastors, I, I, I plead with them. You have to open your hands because it gets because this poverty mentality grips us, doesn't it? We're just afraid we, we're not going to have enough. We just, we're not going to make it. We, if, we, if my wife and I give, give $3 away, my baby's going to be hungry. I mean, I've, lived, I've had that moment. I've been there. We're going to have to eat beans for two weeks. That's all we've got doesn't matter because you've got to be faithful with the little bit and if you're faithful with a little God says I'll make you faithful with much Sid he, he says it this way if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth watch it now who will trust you with true riches Jesus said if you can't get if you can't get your dollars and cents right how can I possibly trust trust you with things that really matter the eternal destiny of people I've called you to influence. This is, this is so important, friends. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, God's stuff, God's money, God's property, who will give you property of your own? 
In other words, if you can't be trustworthy with the, with the minuscule stuff that God passes it through our hands in this life, how can you be responsible for anything in the next life? What if the world's wealthiest man, I don't know who the wealthiest guy in America is, maybe Warren Beatty, uh, Warren Buffett, not Beatty, Buffett. <laughs> Buffett's worth, I don't know, a billion plus. What if, what if you were one of his children? You're Warren Buffett's child. And, and Warren comes to you and says, look, I'm going to give you everything. But he said, before I put you in my will, my estate, I'm just going to give you a little bit and see if you can be trusted with that. Because I've got a billion that I'm going to give you. If, I, if you'll demonstrate trustworthiness with just a little, then I'll, then I'll learn that you can be trusted with a lot. And that's the same thing God says to us. Listen, God, God is, God's got it. He's loaded, loaded. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really rich. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is wealthy. He's got it. And God's saying, look, I've got all these riches, true riches, real influence, incredible opportunity, incredible blessing, incredible favor. Though my wind can get in your sails, my tsunami of my presence can come to you and just flow through your life. Everything you touch will turn, turn the right way. Every, every relationship you have will sweeten up. Every, everything that I've called you to do will, will have impact if you'll just get this part of your life right. If I can trust you with just a little simple things, then I understand I can trust you with a lot. Are you hearing this? So listen to me. Let me summarize there is a direct connection, direct connection between maturity and money. Direct connection. They are not, they are not like this. Well, money is one category, my spiritual life is No. There is a direct connection between your spiritual maturity and the way you handle money. Direct connection. Billy Graham said it this way. If you'll get this money part right, just about everything else will be right. That's a strong statement. Listen to me. There is a direct connection between spiritual power and how I handle possessions. How I handle material possessions has a direct relationship with the spiritual power and influence that God gives my life. Listen, I learned this 40 years ago, and I've been practicing it. You can look at my budget, and you can look at Union Chapel's budget. And I, Beth and I now have a 30-plus year track record of being faithful in a little bit and watching God. You know, the start of this year, 2014, you know, the weather was horrible. The first eight weeks of the year, it snowed virtually every Sunday. You, did you know that our attendance was off about 20% from what we expected at the beginning of the year? It was just horrible weather. I didn't want to come half the time. It was, <laughs> it was beating us, you know. And it affected our income and the life of the church. And we got behind, then we got behind again, then the next week we're behind again and behind again, you know. In a nonprofit like a church, listen, it's all about cash flow. It's all about how much, if you have enough money to pay the bills. And, and we live by faith here. We pass those little buckets around every week. We don't, we don't call you up at the beginning of the year and say, how much are you going to pledge to the church this year? We don't do that. We live by faith. We just offer it to God. We pass, the, we pass an offering. And it's free will. You need to do whatever you want. So we just trust God. I don't trust you. I trust God. Right? Listen, that really takes the worry out of it for me. If I was trusting you, I'd be a mess. 
but I trust God. So, so you know, folks, you know, folks start to go, you know, how much was the offering this week? You just hear the kind of the stress going up. And I said, just relax. And listen, we're already caught up. I don't know if you noticed. You just, we're already caught up. Now we're ahead. Now we're ahead. Already. I mean, it's just, why is that? Because there's a direct relationship between God's blessing in my life and what I do as a financial steward. Direct relationship. Listen, I learned this a long time ago, and I'm trying to teach you right now. It'll help you. It matters. It'll change your life. You say, well, God understands my circumstances. I just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> just reduce it down. If you're faithful with a little, God will make you faithful with much. If you can be trusted with a little, God will trust you with much. Wow. So here's number three. And we're just going to four now. Here's number three. I want you to remember this every day, and that is that money is a tool. Money's a tool. See, folks wrongly say that money is the root of all evil, but it's not. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money is actually neither good or bad. Money is morally neutral. You can do great things with money, wonderful things. You can, you can build a great program. You can, you, can, you can build a great ministry. You can, you can build a habitat house like we're doing right now for a deserving family. You can do great things with money. Or you can, you can put yourself a meth lab together somewhere in Delaware County. The money doesn't care. Right? Take your credit card down and get the chemicals so you can start yourself a meth lab. You can do that with money. Money doesn't care. Right? You can, you can give it to a starving person and save their life and do good with it. You can, and, or you can just do bad with it. And the, it's irrelevant to the money because the money is morally neutral. Now, now follow that. It's neither good or bad. So here's what you need to remember. Jesus said in Luke 16, 9, it's right in our text today. He said, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. Use it. So here's what we learn from this. The call of God on all of us is to use money and to love people. Love people and use money. Now that's an important distinction because in our world that often gets warped. It gets, it gets, it gets distorted. And so what happens in too many people's lives is they start using people and loving money. Rather than using money and loving people. Because if you, if you, get, that, if you get that out of perspective, that, that money's more than just a tool, means to an end, then you can easily become, become a, a nasty person who becomes greedy and willing to do whatever it takes to another person in order to get what you want. And so you end up using people and stepping on people to get what you want. But Jesus said the way you do it is you love people and you use money as a means to help. If you get it backwards, then he goes, technical foul, you're out of the game. That's not good. It's, it's, it's not bad. So we're not supposed to hoard money. We're not supposed to stockpile it. We're not supposed to worship it. Someone said money's like manure. If you spread it all around, it makes things grow. If you pile it up in one place, it just stinks. (laughs) 
That's the only thing you'll remember now from this sermon. <laughs> but you can use money to save lives and do good and honor God. And so Jesus isn't, isn't recognizing this, this manager for his dishonesty, but he is recognizing for his shrewdness. And he, he notices some things, and I wanted you to write these down. They're like subpoints under money's a tool. Number one, he looked ahead. He said in verse 3, what am I going to do now? And so he began thinking about the future. Of course, everything in our culture is constantly squeezing us into the present. So have it now, spend it now, make it now, use it now, forget about the future. Let me just challenge you with these statistics. The average person in Europe today saves about 12% of their income every year. That's impressive, isn't it? The average person in Europe saves about 12% of their income. The average person in Japan saves 25% of their income. That is very impressive, highly disciplined. I mean, that's really good. In America, the average American last year saved minus 1%. Minus 1%. Now, in case you're wondering, that's not good. That's bad. That means the average American spends more than they make. Spending more than they make. And so you have this consumer debt, this credit card debt, horrible levels of debt. Now, let me just say that many of you I know have taken Financial Peace University. About 30 of you just graduated out of Financial Peace recently that we offered and, and that's just so great, so helpful, and I encourage you, when that comes back around, and it'll come back around, join that class, get in it. It's, it's just so easy and practical. For, for many people, this whole idea of managing money becomes too complex. Can't get your mind around it, so you just kind of give up and, and hope for the best. But there are steps, you know, one, two, three, and anyone, everyone, all of us can actually do these things if we just take it one step at a time, you know, that's how you eat the elephant, just one bite at a time. And you just take those steps, and it actually will liberate your life and empower your life because now you're doing something about it. He, he looked ahead, and he imagined the future, and he began to plan. You know, uh, Beth and I own two cars right now. One of them is 12 years old, and the other one is 8 years old. We haven't had a car payment for years for years. Now, it's not that we, that we couldn't buy a little nicer car, but we're taking the money that we would otherwise be spending on a car payment and we're investing in our future. So we're, we're looking ahead. And, and that's actually prudent. That's wise. And it's liberating. We, we've discovered that we don't actually need that new car smell when we get in the car. In fact, if you need that, you just buy one of those little smelly thingies. <laughs> just hang it right up there on the rear view and you get the same effect. The point is, look ahead. Look ahead. Then the second thing is, this wise steward, he, he made a plan. I know what I'll do, he said. I know what I'll do. So let me ask you, do you have a plan? Do you have a budget? You know, a budget is just planned spending. You know how much you make, and you know how much you're going to spend. And you start there. And I just want to challenge you with that. Proverbs 16, 9, we should make plans, the Bible says, counting on God to direct us. Mm-hmm. So here's the third thing he did. He, he looked ahead, he made a plan, and he acted quickly. 
He didn't delay. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't say, someday I'm going to get my finances in order. Someday I'm going to start saving for retirement. He doesn't say that. Luke 16, 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So take the long view. Now here's, a, here's the last major point we'll be done. This is the home stretch. It's coming in for a landing. Here's number four. Remember this every day. The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. Verse 9, Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. He's talking about building relationships through the, through the, the faithfulness of your stewardship so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into an eternal dwelling. Now, he's not saying go buy friends so you'll have some friends someday. He's saying invest the resources God places at your disposal so that in the eternal kingdom of God, there will be people there saying, I'm your friend. Now, listen to me. Use, use your affluence for influence. One of these days... Just in a few days, we're going to be in heaven. All of us are going to be there. Someone in this room right now, some, before the next 12 months, you'll be in heaven. Someone else in this room, someone in this room will be, a, will be the last living person from this meeting. And maybe you're going to live another 80 years from where you are right now. If, you, if you're 80 years old, how fast did that go? Just a few more days. Everyone in this room will be in eternity. Just like that. Let me tell you something that's going to happen. When you step into the eternal kingdom of God, there's going to be, at some point shortly thereafter, a moment when permission is given by, to the people that you have influenced to actually be in heaven to give you a greeting. This is something that every one of us in this room, including me, completely and totally and utterly underestimates. We underestimate just how much influence God has actually given us in this lifetime to impact eternity. My hunch is that when, that when there's recognition given in heaven, there won't be a moment where, all right, here's Union Chapel Church, let's talk about Union Chapel. I don't think that moment's ever going to come up in heaven. But what I do think is going to come up is those of us who have partnered together in the context of our local church, church and covenanted together in order to make a difference, being faithful in the little things, giving God our hopeful expectation for the future, and, and living for Him the best we know how, that in the context of that kind of covenant relationship that we have together, that one by one you're going to be called out and then there's going to be a line of people who are in heaven, which may very well stretch into the horizon, who are going to step forward one by one and say to you, Susie, listen, you've, you gave in an offering one year, and it was because of that missionary or because of that short-term delegation or because of that Habitat house or because of some other influence that God gave you because you took your affluence and you invested it for eternity and, you, and, and God gave you influence through it, that someone's going to walk up to Susie and say, I want to thank you because of you and your faithfulness as a, as a steward. I am in heaven today, and I want to thank you, and I'm indebted to you. And I, th and I think heaven is going to be heaven in a lot of parts 
because of the gratification that's going to come to those of us who have been faithful in the little things, embrace the influence God's called us to, and the incomprehensible impact that it will have on eternity. I'm just looking forward to that. I just uh, heard a story this week. comes out of Kazakhstan. Some of our friends were just in Kazakhstan last month in March. They came home. Some of you remember that one of our pastor friends there, indigenous pastors, his name is Yerjan, and he, he was uh, arrested, you know, 18 months ago or so, two years ago, and trumped up charges, the KGB. There's, there's just heavier persecution coming to the church in Kazakhstan, and they were threatening to throw him out of the country and so forth. We actually raised some money here to help fund his defense account and, th and this whole business against the government in Kazakhstan. And, and so our friends visited Yerjan's church a couple of weeks ago in Kazakhstan. They said it was a beautiful experience of God's presence and worship um, and just wonderful in every way. And after the service, they were conferring with Yerjan a bit. And Yerjan said, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, two members of the KGB showed up in, in my worship service. They were sitting in the back. They were acting in a very menacing way and a threatening tone. And, and after the service, they came up to me and they said, you know, we know that you've been in trouble before and we want you to know we're keeping an eye on you and, and you're a suspicious character and we're not sure what we're going to do with you going forward. But they said, but if you'll just give us a little money, we'll protect you from any of this further kind of scrutiny. So now you know what's going on. And this is what Yerjan said. Yerjan looked at these two KGB agents and said, no, well, that's not necessary. I already have a protector. His name is Jesus Christ, and you should know him. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, when we get to heaven, Yerjan will be way uh, out in front of us. But when it comes time, the people that Yerjan has reached and is reaching and will reach, some of those folks will double back and they'll say, Hey, Bob, you were part of that church, weren't you? That, that was an encouragement to Yerjan that touched my life. And I'm here because you gave and you cared and you prayed. The best use of your money, your time, your talent, your whole life is to see that others make it to heaven. That's the truth. Because that's what matters. That's ultimate reality, friends. So I hope you're encouraged by that. And if you have an ear to hear this message today, this is more than about money. This is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's about who you love and who you trust and who you, who you look to as your source and your security. And when you get this part right, you manage resources right, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful. You've been faithful in a little, I'll make you faithful in much. And that's where we want to go. Amen? Let's pause and I'll just pray for a few moments. This has been our pattern now through this series to ask God for His touch on our lives as we absorb and assimilate this truth. While we're in an attitude of prayer, let me, let me just ask you to do a little personal evaluation in your life. And just ask yourself some questions. Here's a first. Does God really have first place in my life? Does he really have first place? Or is something else first place in my life? Can, can God trust me with what he's allowed me to have? 
Am I, am I managing well? Am I managing my money well? My opportunities? My relationships? My life? Does, does the way that I'm using my money show God that I can be trusted with more? How much am I really investing for eternity? I mean, will anybody be in heaven because of the way I'm using my money? Now, here's the prayer. I'll say the words, but you believe them in your heart. Just say them in your mind, okay? Dear God, I don't want to waste money. I don't want to waste your money. I don't want to love it, live for it, trust in it for my security. I don't want to expect it to satisfy and meet needs that only you can meet and so God from this day forward help me to remember every day that it all belongs to you that I don't really own anything it's all on loan you're going to loan it to somebody else after I'm gone so God I want to do with all the resources you give me by way of showing you that I love you the most. To trust you with my security. I want you to look at the way I'm using my life, my money, and know that you can trust me with greater responsibility. Help me to remember that money is just a tool. And while many people use it for bad, I want to use it for good and for God. And today, inspire me to act quickly and not procrastinate. You, you said from your own words that the best use of money is to help people get into heaven. Lord, help me to store up treasure in heaven. I want to use money to do that. I want to use it. Because I know that one day I'm going to give an account for how I use my life, what I was given. Lord, you said that where your treasure is, there is your heart. So God, I want to give you my heart today. Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but as much as I know, I ask you to come into my life anew and fresh. I want a relationship with you. And I want to learn to know you and love you and serve you. Feel your love, know your love and to express it to others. God, use me as a faithful steward, a reliable manager of all these resources. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,